Hey, Elise. Thanks for being here, coming on the podcast today. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, we have a fun and interesting conversation around men's mental health today. And uh, you're a mental health coach and a trauma coach, and you create a lot of really brilliant content online focusing on, you know, men's issues and men's mental health. And you have a big practice and, you know, a substantial uh, following from people who, who really benefit from this work. And today we're going to dive into a bunch of issues relating to men's mental health and, you know, why it's such a undervalued area of, of uh, conversation and of practice and, and perhaps why, you know, it needs to be spoken about more to help more men get into or get the help that they need rather. And so, yeah, I mean, I'd love to just start off by just asking you like, you know, what really was it about men in particular that fascinated you and that you wanted to focus on? Yeah. So when I first started my business, I actually was trying to be a woman's spiritual coach, but I started off on LinkedIn and I posted video content that was more motivational, little tidbits on how to overcome, you know, motivation problems, blocks, things like that. And I saw it was only men reaching out to me for help. And so I decided to put my methods to the test with men mm -hmm. to see if it would be helpful to them as well, because I, like I said, I didn't intend to work with them. And once I did that and worked with them, I realized just how little support men had when it came to mental health. And I just dedicated from there to understanding their struggles and their problems. And it's been the best thing I ever did. Yeah. And why do you think it is that men gravitated much more towards you? Do you have an idea of, of what that reasoning might be? I mean, I can't say for sure, but from what they've told me, it was that I seemed to just understand what they were going through, really spoke to them, spoke to their point of view. Um, and I think that I just had a, a very non-judgmental way of, of posting content that made them yeah. feel comfortable enough that they could actually express themselves. Yeah. And that's amazing. And I think that it's always fascinating to find someone online, you know, like a regular content creator who really validates your experience. And there are very few that really focus on men's mental health in a, you know, healthy and functional way, rather than a, any sort of political uh, aspect in terms of making it look like there's this like a gender war. And, you know, while there are some aspects of that, that may be salient to some people or whatever, it's not the point, right? It, it's really just the focus on like, how do we understand what we're experiencing as men? And do other people get that? And I think it's quite rare that a woman is the one who kind of is able to understand that outside of a therapy context, let's say, and so maybe that's part of the, the gravitation. At least that's what I found captivating about your content when I first started um, watching it, you know, like a few weeks ago. And that's why I reached out today to chat to you. I was like, this is going to be so much fun. Yeah, well, I'm really glad that you brought that point up because validation is such a powerful form of healing. And the fact that you you brought up it from a woman's perspective basically, all men have told me that. I just, I don't know why I blocked that out of my mind that that was an important aspect. Um, but I think you're so right when the world has become so polarized with men versus women to find a woman who supports men when we're in such an extreme feminist time period, I think really is a, 
a key aspect, like you said. Yeah, and I think it's it's often too polarized, right? It's like sometimes it's someone will say, oh, let's talk about men's mental health or women's for that matter. And then people will respond and be like, yeah, but what about the other one? As if like it's a zero sum game, which it's really not, right? It's like, no, everyone's mental health matters and everyone needs support. And maybe men and women need support in slightly different ways. And that's okay. Uh, but it's important to be able to address everyone's issues and get everyone or as many people as we can, let's say, the help that they need and that they deserve. Yeah, 100%. And you had said earlier, you know, maybe they even felt connected for, perhaps from a female therapist. And I've heard from my clients that when they've actually gone to female therapists, you know, they usually don't connect, mm. right? Like, because men and women do take things in differently. They do process things differently and they want different outcomes. They want different forms of support. And so I do get those comments on my, on my reels, even from men that are like, women struggle with this too. And this is a, this is a human issue. Like, of course, mental health is a human issue, yeah. but when you're talking to 7 billion humans, who is hearing you, right? You, you need to get specific at some point so that someone can actually resonate and connect because if they can't resonate and connect, they can never heal. Yeah. It's always interesting, the people who comment and say things like, oh, this doesn't apply to me, or I know of a case where this isn't true. And you're like, yeah, okay, fine. This is a very general statement that I'm making. And if it's not for you, that's okay. Just move on to the next one. Maybe the next one will be, or if you don't like my stuff, you know, do something else. And uh, do you get a lot of pushback like for the content you make? I used to get a lot. Well, to be fair, um, I have a large following on TikTok and I don't read basically any of the comments. Sorry, TikTok followers. I love you all. But <laughs> it, it was such a toxic place yeah. at first that everyone was like, this woman is awful. She's the devil. Don't listen to her. She's trash. <laughs> like I have people make videos where they're like, I feel bad for your 175,000 followers, which now I have almost 300,000. So that guy can suck it. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I do get those people. Um, but every, like, like you said, my stuff actually, I don't feel like is so general. Sometimes it gets very specific and that's when people are like, this is totally wrong. Um, but I don't know. You can never get it right for everybody. I'm not no. speaking to everybody. I'm speaking to who I'm speaking to in that specific video. And there are people who resonate with that. Um, but you can never get it 100% right. Right. And when I say that, you know, you're making general statements, I mean, like you're saying, here's a general pattern, right, that you've observed, and yeah. it'll fit uh, the mold for many people. That's why it's a general pattern, but not everyone, because that's not how human humans work. We're not, you know, a homogeneous group of uh, animals, everyone's slightly different, but it's important to be able to recognize and look at the patterns and analyze them and say, okay, well, where does this pattern of behavior or thinking come from? You know, what can we do about it and sort of move forwards? And if you're making content, you want to be doing that because you want to appeal to larger audiences. You don't want to say, oh, well, let me tell you about this one specific person that it will only ever apply to. Like, who's that going to help on social media? right? It's a very strange concept to think like every video should be tailor-made to you specifically. Or that every video should be tailor-made to everybody specifically, right? right? We're getting so politically correct that it's like, listen, we don't need to include everyone in everything because 
everyone can't possibly fit into everything. It's just not possible. So we need to, I think, focus less on being social justice warriors and just connect with what we connect with and leave the rest. Yeah. And also understand that, you know, people can be out there helping people who aren't necessarily the group that you think needs the most help. Like there's so many people that need help, like it's fun and there should be people helping all of them, right? It's, it's not a competition. And it's really weird that people really take that hardline approach of like, no, this group's not the most deserving. There's other groups you should be focusing your energy on. When really it's like, no, there's lots of people focusing on all the groups and that's good because everyone needs a little bit of everything. Right. Well, because then we make suffering some sort of competition, which is the problem in the first place when it comes to mental health, because we all grow up with, well, somebody has it worse, right? The classic thing that our parents do to us when we're little is we don't finish our plate and they go, someone is starving in Africa. Like it's the immediate guilt trip and shame that because you don't like, because you're not acknowledging someone else's suffering more, like your suffering doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's what we need to get over is that you, whether you're drowning one inch of water or seven feet of water, you're still drowning. And like, we just need to prevent people from drowning in the first place. Yeah. Right. If we can get to that place, then the world will be better off no matter what. I think that's a really brilliant analogy because suffering is subjective and comparing suffering is so unhelpful. And yeah, it doesn't matter if you're drowning in an inch or seven inches of water or feet rather, um, it, you know, you're, you're drowning and, uh, you know, you need help being pulled out or whatever it might be. And so it's just, it is weird, but it is such an installed, I don't even know what the word is like value of like, well, you're not suffering enough to warrant sufficient empathy. Right. As if, and then we, yes, and then you're not suffering yeah. enough. And then we internalize that. And then we, you know, shame ourselves into feeling bad because when we do suffer, we'll say, well, I am suffering, but maybe other people are suffering more. So I shouldn't be suffering. So now I'm going to feel bad for suffering. And, you know, that's a really poor cycle to get stuck in because it leads you to nowhere helpful. <laughs> yeah. And this is exactly the cycle that men get stuck in is yeah. they, they don't feel like they can reach out for help because they're afraid the world's going to call them a big pussy or they should just suck it up or, you know, man up. And it's really sad because struggle is heightened in isolation, Mm -hmm. right? It's heightened in the dark when we don't feel like we can share all of a sudden it makes the pain even, even darker, even deeper. So what could have started off as one inch becomes quickly seven feet because we don't have anybody who's, who's helping us. Right. And that's compounded, you know, social media is a, it's a blessing and a curse at the same time, right? Because there's so much stuff on social media, which effectively pushes those kinds of messages, right? Where it's like, push through your pain, and you don't need help, like you must be strong. And it's like, yes, that's true. Within reason, right? Like strength is extremely important. But so is vulnerability, because we're human, and we don't do without vulnerability. And if you ignore that aspect of yourself, it'll come at your peril, right? Because you're going to bottle up your emotions instead of expressing them in a, in a healthy way. And that's going to cost you. It's going to cost you psychologically. It's going to cost you somatically, which is like somewhere in your body, you know, you'll develop a problem or, you know, in your relationships and 
it it really just ultimately will be your downfall if you're not prepared to deal with the areas where you are vulnerable. And also, no one thinks that asking for help is a sign of weakness until it's themselves, right? And and that's the big key point is that we don't treat ourselves like we treat other people. Right. Well, I do want to actually test you on that Go because, maybe because you're also a therapist, right? So this is a huge um, problem that I've seen men struggle with because it's really hard because a lot of men want to reach out and they want to talk to other people, but they're either afraid that their guy friends aren't like that. They're not quote unquote, that type of guy. They're not touchy feely. They're not deep. Right. But all men are wearing masks around other men because they don't want to show that. So that's number one. And number two, a lot of men have had the experience of opening up to women in their lives and being rejected for it because women are also programmed to see men as weak if they express emotion, but also that's a subset of women, right? But it's a, it's a subset of women that a lot of men have been exposed to because if you're a man who doesn't know how to relay his emotions in a proper way, doesn't know how to communicate them properly, you're likely not going to be matched with someone who can receive them properly. Yeah. So it creates this cycle of self-fulfilling prophecy where you think if I express my emotions, I'm going to be weak. And then you express them to someone who will see you as weak. And then you continue the cycle of, of holding it in. But I just want to know curiously, because you are a therapist, if you have, I don't know if you do couples, but if you've experienced this where the man has maybe opened up and the wife has, or the partner has in some way rejected him or recoiled. Yeah, it's a big problem. Um, I wouldn't say it's most couples necessarily, but as you say, the dynamic that you effectively put out, you sort of find, right? And it's very unfortunate because it's the most invalidating experience and shameful and uh, creates massive disconnect between people because, you know, on the one hand, um, the partner or the, the wife will say, you know, I want you to be open with me. And then the man sort of says, okay, it's time for me to be vulnerable and then is vulnerable and does open up. And then that later gets used um, against them or, or it, it negatively affects how that goes. But the, it actually can be for a variety of reasons, right? And it, it's not as yeah, straightforward exactly. as that. And it's also not necessarily most people's experience. Um, and as you say, it's really just a subset of people. And so... Um, Hello, are you there? Uh-oh. I'm here. It got froze for a second. Lost the internet for a second. Are you back? Yes. Can you hear me? Hmm. Curious. Can you hear me? Huh? You're frozen. Oh, no. Okay. Are you back? <laughs> I'm back. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Okay, we're back. Okay, yeah, you were frozen for a second, so I didn't, I didn't hear the question that you asked me. Yeah, you were frozen too. I didn't ask you a question. I paused because you froze. <laughs> um, so no, so I was saying like, yeah, those situations where, you know, the let's say the, the woman wants the man to open up and be vulnerable, and then he does, and then that comes back later to have some sort of negative consequence, uh, can be for a variety of reasons, right? One reason could be, well, because it didn't go the way that um, you know she had thought it was going to, or it was she didn't respond the way that you know she thought she might. So it's like you don't really know what you're asking for, but it's not fair to necessarily blame her for that because the other, another reason could be you know he could be like 
effectively what's pop psychology calls trauma dumping right and it's kind of you just like open the floodgates and it's just so overwhelming um and then you also get manipulative people right who will use your weaknesses against you and this is both men and women who will know they will learn where your weaknesses are and your vulnerabilities and they will target that to hurt you specifically and that's a really shitty thing to do to someone but that does happen um is it common probably not it's common in clinical populations because but that's why they're there right is because they don't know how to communicate properly um and so it, it is a very complex problem and the sad part about it is having gone through an experience like that they become shut off and they're like i'll never do it again right and there's right. Ma- there's many examples of how people have this kind of learning experience in life and you know uh, another example is like people who get cheated on and then give up on love entirely and romantic relationships because they're like well they're all going to be like this because the pain that it caused is so great that it's not worth the risk at least so it seems now lots of people manage to move on and get through it and it's not everyone's experience of course um you know eventually people can come to recognize that was an instance of one or maybe two people doing that but that doesn't represent everyone in the group um but it, it it's a really it's a really tough thing and uh, i have like great empathy for for people who are willing to open up and then it goes so poorly for them that they just shut themselves off permanently because it's sad and it's not the right it it's not fair um it it it's really it, it's a really unfair thing that happens and uh, i understand why it does happen and the best that you can do giving an advice perspective i mean the best thing you can do is to go to therapy but <laughs> from a general advice perspective is to figure out a way to not let that change the way that you view the world as a whole right because of a few single instances of bad experiences but that's not necessarily possible and i i do i do understand that well well exactly and if i could just go back to what you were saying before about yeah um the different types of responses women can give and loop it back into you know how we can move forward so you had mentioned you know maybe she doesn't respond surprisingly the way that she thought she would mm. or there's a manipulative woman at the other end who's going to use it you know whatever you tell them to their favor um there's also like trauma dumping like you said um there's also men who use their partner as a therapist because they don't want to get professional help and then the the partner becomes the wife and the therapist mm-hmm. and no longer holds the the romantic partner role like she is sought to take care of and to fix him um and so that can be very uncomfortable and then there's also um the point where the woman has just checked out because after a while if you're asking your partner over and over and over again to share with you and you resist and you resist and you resist and then you're finally sharing she may have already checked out at that point yeah So sometimes it's like this awful combination of too little too late or you know wrong person wrong time. Um and it can happen to any of us even when women um you know they'll they'll dump on their boyfriends without asking, right? I think communication in general between couples is just very off balance because we're not trauma informed as a whole. Yeah. And the more that we understand that the better it can be. Um but when it comes to like what can we do about these things? often like a lot of coaches and online resources are focused on the other person mm-hmm. 
right? How can we avoid this person? What red flags can we spot? What green flags can we spot? I always take the perspective of going back to self Mm -hmm. and what can I do to remedy the situation? And like you said, the patterns, the behaviors that I am doing in the relationship that have either attracted me to this person or that led me to this moment in time. Because if you can change your own behaviors and patterns, which is the only thing you can control, then you can change the way that your relationships go. And you'll be able to spot a person with red flags. You'll be able to spot a person who is trustworthy. You'll be able to know if that person can handle what you're saying in that moment, right? You can say, hey, I really need to talk to you. Do you have space for this right now? Yeah. Right? Like you can cultivate healthy relationships by just observing your own patterns. Um, So that's a way that, you know, you can bring yourself comfort if you've been through a an awful moment where someone has invalidated your feelings because it's not about you, that's about them yeah. if they've invalidated your feelings. Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right. I had the same thought where ultimately it comes down to starting with yourself, right? And what most people, most of us, because we're never taught to be fair, is emotional regulation, right? And self-analysis and self-insight, which are the most important skills in any relationship that you'll have because it allows you to recognize, okay, what's me here and what's them? And it doesn't mean it won't hurt when something goes wrong, but you can at least see it more accurately for what it is instead of it being perceived, instead of you automatically seeing it as a reflection of you or being too involved in you know the dynamic and, and what this means, where you're able to really have that insight and say, okay, you know, I tried, this is what I tried. Um, this is how they responded. And now because they responded this way, what does that tell me about, well, firstly, let's look at what actually happened, right? Not this is what I thought would happened. And then, I mean, if you have really good communication, you go, okay, let's talk about what just happened or what happened yesterday. And you say, this is, I, I try to be vulnerable and try to open up. And I felt like you shut me down or that you rejected or invalidated what I was telling you what was your experience of that, right? Because then you actually learn what the other person really felt and experienced and not just your interpretation of those events. And then you can have a, an interesting and fruitful discussion about mm-hmm. what really just transpired from each other's perspectives. And hopefully with a bit of empathy and compassion, you can try and understand the other person and see where you went wrong, where they went wrong and work to improve it together. Right. And I think a lot of us, like you said, we don't know how to self-regulate. And so when we get into a relationship, we become totally enmeshed. Mm -hmm. We are not operating anymore as it's like, we're not operating anymore as an individual. And at the same time, we are never more selfish Mm -hmm. because we automatically assume that the other person should know or understand how to act in the way that uh, nurtures our feelings and our well-being. Yeah. When it's simply just not the case because we have no idea what their background is, what their behavioral patterns are, and we don't know how to separate their actions from our value, mm-hmm. from the way that we, you know, feel nurtured in the relationship. But if we can step back and actually understand, oh, they might have a different life view, a different life perspective, then you can actually honor them for the person that they are and not make it about the person that you are. Yeah. And that in and that's how true yeah. relationships are made. A hundred percent. And that enmeshment is a really interesting point where, you know, what happens is you go, 
well, my feeling okay depends on you being okay with me. And so if you're not okay with me, then I can't be okay with myself because I, I don't know how to self-regulate and be okay just as I am, even if you're not okay. And that's actually a really tough thing to do for people. Um, again, because we just never learned how to do it because we were never taught. And it wasn't, it, I th my opinion on the matter is that it wasn't taught because people don't know what it is. So they don't know how to teach it. Right. I think they didn't know. Yeah. No, we don't. We can't teach what we don't exactly. know. Exactly. And even if people, you know, you get better at it with age, generally speaking, and maturity. But even then, it's very much an unconscious thing, right? You're not necessarily willfully trying to. If you to haven't do that. gone through the science, yeah. like we have, and you even more than I, if you haven't learned the actual processes, there's no way you put a name to it. You don't put a no. face to it. And it's impossible to get right at that point in any time because you're dealing with like a mysterious formula, yeah. right? It's like you make a batch of perfect cookies one time. And you're like, oh, I can recreate this, but I didn't write down any of the instructions. Yeah. So then you're left fumbling every time. It's always a little bit different. But when you know the recipe, then you can like make your own tweaks, yeah. right? And I just think this should really be in schools or something because so it's like much. so valuable. Yeah. And and it's not <laughs> even difficult. the system can control us when we're chaotic. Yeah. Sorry, I went off no, on side note there. Um. Sort of, right? Because the I think the chaos is very unsettling as well. It can it, it, It's prime for sort of control of some people, right? But not most people because it's too much chaos. I don't know. That aside, it's like to go back to the point about learning it in school, it's like there are basic fundamental strategies that can be taught, right? Like I mean, I know it's it's said a lot, but it's because it's true. It's just like basic meditation, right? Just learning. And it's not even the, the skill of meditation is one thing, but fundamentally, one of the aspects of it is learning to just sit with your own thoughts and be okay with it and your feelings, right? And not need to get rid of the feeling through checking your phone or talking to someone or doing whatever you need to do because it's an uncomfortable feeling. And that's really difficult, even for adults, right? But children can learn it actually really easily because they haven't gone through all of the conditioning and learning that we have as adults and, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years of like being set in a particular behavioral pattern. And so as kids, it's actually easier to learn. And then it becomes automatic. It just becomes a way of dealing with things. And, you know, it takes some time, but that's how life goes, right? I mean, that's just one strategy people can use. Yeah, absolutely. And what I tell my clients, meditation, yoga, journaling, walking, whatever, they're all just going to the same <laughs> cure, which is self-regulation. Mm -hmm. If you can understand that the end goal is to get your body to self-regulate, right? I control my heart rate. I control how my body is responding to the environment when it comes to safety, then you can choose any exercise you yeah. want and you can be okay. Because that's also something it's like lost in translation that people are like, yoga will be the cure, you know, for everyone or meditation is like, it's the only way to like really free your mind. It's like, it's not about that. It's about how well can you regulate your system? Yeah. If you can actually tap into regulating your system, which is what those things do, then you can do anything. Exactly. And meditation doesn't even just mean sitting, just sitting and closing your eyes and meditating. Like you can meditate on a walk. You can meditate while you run. You can meditate while drawing or painting or 
crocheting or any number of things. But it, you're right, it's that ability to learn how to regulate. And it, it basically, it starts with awareness, right? So you have to be aware that what's going on. Like you can't solve a problem if you don't know what the problem is. You're just punching in the dark. It's useless. Maybe you hit the target, maybe you don't. Um, so you have to be aware of it. And then you have to be willing to sit with it once you become aware of it because oftentimes it feels worse once you put your attention on it. And that sucks, but that's a necessary part of it. And then you get to the techniques of breathing or, um, you know, thought, um, like various thought activities of like letting thoughts go and or allowing them to pass or thinking of them as like a train. Like there's all kinds of imagery and techniques that you can use to sort of understand how well, thoughts just come up and you don't have to take them super seriously and you can just let them go. Right. And it's again, just one example, but there's so many things you can do, or you can do yoga where you're forced into these difficult positions that really focus your attention on your body and it distracts you from your mind and lowers your thinking anyway. And then that skill becomes transferable to outside of the yoga studio. And uh, yeah, they should teach it in schools. <laughs> right. Well, and just out of curiosity in your practice, have you done much with co-regulation? Um, not in my practice, but I, I know a co-regulation. Well, you do co-regulation as a therapist, right? Right, right. Well, yeah. I, I mean, but, you know, I'm just curious, like, um, so we to just yeah. be teaching it between couples that, cause this is also what I tell my clients, when you learn how to self-regulate, you will change the energy of the room yeah. just because your, your energy is different. Right. And that's just essentially saying like, you're, you're helping to co-regulate the room. Yeah. So co-regulation is fascinating. And so for anyone who doesn't know what it means, it means that when at least two people, but let's say two people are in proximity with each other and have a connection of sort, our emotions intertwine, for lack of a better word. And they sort of start to balance each other out in one direction or other, or both in the same direction. So you can co-regulate poorly leading to like everyone being violently angry, right? That's a really poor co-regulation. Or you can have one really upset person, one really calm person, and then the really calm person manages to sort of lower the level of the really upset person. They might get a little bit more upset in the balance. It, it all depends and it's situation specific. The problem comes when people feel like they need to be actively co-regulating and then it becomes like they're trying to change the other person. Right. And I think that that can, you have to be careful. It's, I mean, co-regulation happens, so I'm not saying don't do it, but if I go, you know, let's say to my partner and say, I wouldn't say it, but it would be like, oh, you're upset. I'm going to regulate you. It's like, that's not the best approach. Right. Because then. Right. But yeah. if you can do something like seeing that they're upset and just like, you know, this is exactly our work that we do when we're in session, right? Yeah. If our client's upset, we cannot simply just get upset with them. <laughs> you have to maintain your composure 100%. to an extreme degree so that they can mirror you and that they don't get more and more upset. So like sometimes it is your job in a relationship, I think, that if you can, to try to regulate yourself to a point where like if your partner is overreacting, you can understand, oh, like if I don't get too upset right now in this moment, Right. Like, you know, not ignoring your own emotions, but just saying, like, I don't have to feel this fire right now and yeah. I can actually calm it down if I also remain calm and I can take a deep breath and maybe they can take a deep breath. And 
that's also healthy co-regulation. Yeah, and that's exactly right. And the point you made being that you self-regulate in order to co-regulate, right? Whereas I think sometimes people outside of a therapy or a coaching session, people think that what that means is that they actively have to try and regulate someone else. And that's true and it's a good thing, but only if you're doing it properly, because what can happen is- like That would be impossible. You, yeah. They're trying to regulate someone else and they're not regulated. They're like, yeah. this is what parents do to children. Yeah. They're like, take a deep breath. And they're like freaking out. Like the child is mimicking your actual yeah. emotional response, not what you're telling them to do, right? They're like, calm down, go to sleep. And you're all anxious, yeah. right? That they know Children better. are the best mirrors of our own <laughs> regulation. A hundred percent. And that's where we learn it, right? and or don't <laughs> is from our, our primary caregivers and so yeah so in relationships it's like first you have to learn to regulate yourself right and you should be wanting to help your partner regulate but it depends on how you go about it because if you go about it in the right way then you regulate yourself you allow that your partner to feel the upset, express what they need to express in a healthy way, as long as you're not tolerating any abuse or any violence or anything like that, you know, you don't have to um, allow that at any point. And so you regulate yourself, you allow them to regulate themselves, I mean, to express themselves. And in the process of doing that and of listening and of validating their experiences and their feelings, they will regulate themselves. Right. And, and I think that's the process of co-regulation in a healthy relationship, um, as opposed to trying to say, like, I need to fix you right now. Right. Right. So, I need you to yeah. calm down so that I'm no longer uncomfortable from your emotions. Exactly. Which is what a lot of us try to do. And that's also a, a trap that men I've mm -hmm. witnessed fall into is they really try to fix their partner's problems immediately. They problem solve. Because they cannot handle the emotion overload. Yeah. And it's less about actually trying to help them than it is just not wanting to be uncomfortable anymore. And that's how they handle their own emotional process as well. They come, they come to me, I'm not sure what your experience is, but they're like, I just need to fix this. I'm like, well, the only way to fix it is through it. Yeah. <laughs> we can't, I wish I could just give you a magic pill that just makes it all go away. But the best thing I can do is, you know, like you're already distracting yourself. You're already shoving it down. That's not working for you. Yeah. You can ignore it, but you need to learn how to process it and then it won't affect you as much. Yeah. And there's that big difference between listening to someone because they want support versus they want problem solving, right? And again, it's just something that people aren't taught. And so I think a lot of men, when someone comes to them with a problem, like, oh, I'm just having all these problems at work or at home or something like that, they immediate, they want to help. And so they want to say, okay, well, let's, how do we problem solve this? And that's not the response that the, the partner is looking for in that situation right now it might be sometimes and so like one of the easy ways to do it is just to ask like are you looking for comfort or a solution and you know and accept the answer and so if it's just comfort you sit and listen and you really listen and you validate what they're going through and you know you I don't know give them a hug or hold their hand or whatever it is that the two people like to engage in uh, during that process and that's just the expression of their emotion. They don't need a, a solution right then. However, there will be times where they're like, I have a problem, I don't know how to solve it, and I need your help problem solving this situation. And then that's where you go into problem solving mode. And it's not even in just romantic relationships, like this is in all relationships this happens, you know? People like to express themselves just because they need to just get it out, right? 
it helps us process things to just get it out and explain it to someone and have them just listen and just hear what we're saying and that we're, right. we're not, you know, just stuck in our heads so much. Right. Well, and more for women than for men, right? Because men have been taught to keep everything inside. Yeah. So also, I'm not sure if you've run into this, but when I, when I have a man in front of me who's trying to express, he often says he can't. He does not know how. He doesn't know how to connect with his emotions. He doesn't know what he's feeling because he's never done it before. Mm -hmm. And so this is like a process that we really need to start changing for the next generation of men who grow up because emotions don't pick a gender. No. You look at a, a genetic <laughs> uh, layout, it's not like male, female, one gets emotions, one doesn't. Yeah. Right? Like, you know, we have different ways that we communicate and think. But then again, how many of those ways are so different that are ingrained in us and how many are just trained? Yeah. Right? Because we also have this saying, and this might digress a little bit, but uh, that men don't mature until later on in life. And I'm starting, and I've wondered this for many years, is is it that they don't mature until later on in life? Or is it that we just continue to make excuses for them and we don't push them to mature? And we, you know, um, we just pressure women to to grow up early. Like this has been a thought process as well, because if you give a man a chance to do something and challenge him to it, he will rise to the occasion if he is supported. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the two points there is it's like men, you know, mature later in life is complicated because it really depends what you mean by mature, like maturity, right? And part of that is like emotional regulation. Yeah, I guess I mean emotional maturity, yeah. right? And uh I think that would be really hard. I, I'm not aware. I'm listen. I'm not overly familiar with all the psychological literature, so I don't know of any studies that actually support that saying. Um, but it and it relates to your first earlier point about how you know men. Listen, there's lots of women that don't know how to express themselves either, or how to feel their emotions, and so it's not necessarily a single gender issue. But it does seem to be more common for men, and really the emotions men. Lots of men primarily feel our anger and anxiety, and the reason, and those are masking emotions, right? They're a second order. It's because they're protective. And what happens is, an emotion comes up, let's say sadness, and the man doesn't know how to deal with the sadness, and so what happens is, in order to protect themselves, they automatically their fight or flight system kicks in is one way to think about it and so they've either become like aggressively defensive or attacking in defense and that's the anger part and it can be directed towards themselves sometimes too that leads to like depression and stuff like that um, or it can be anxiety where they're just like hyper aroused and they don't know what to do and they're looking for a target of like what's causing this anxiety not sort of really realizing that it's oh it's an emotion that came up that they didn't want to feel because they didn't know how to deal with it couldn't recognize what it was and were afraid and then it became anxiety. Um, and so, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's like we need to learn how to healthily express our emotions so that we're free to express them just in ourselves. Like it doesn't even have to be, you don't have to tell everyone about it, but so that when an emotion comes up, we can deal with it as it is and then you can move through it because, you know, otherwise you're just, you're left with like, just these battles, right, of anger and anxiety. And um, it's really bad for you, is, is what I would say. Yeah. Has that been your yeah, experience totally as well, agree. of like just anger and anxiety in your practice? 
Yeah, I've even said this on other podcasts is that it's also like the only acceptable form of emotion that men can have, right? Like if a man's angry, that's like, oh, he's masculine, right? Like it's almost like a good thing if he's angry or, or even if he's horny, right? Anger, horny or happy. Yeah. They're like the only things that men are okay to feel. Yeah. Hungry as well. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, hungry, but I don't know if that's really an emotion as much as like an expression. Yeah. It's weird. We do say I feel hungry, but it's not the same kind of feeling. Um, (laughs) I agree. And I think that it's a problem. It's a very, very widespread problem that, you know, men are discouraged from feeling their emotions and, but are, are welcomed to accept like anger. And I think it's because there's probably an association with anger associated with strength, right? Where, cause if you're in a dangerous situation, you actually want anger to be there, right? It's a very good, powerful emotion that'll help you defend yourself, stay alive, or, you know, stand up for yourself or whatever you need to do. Whereas other emotions, are seen as more quote unquote weak. Now they're not, their emotions are just emotions, right? They, they don't necessarily have a um, moral connotation to them, or they shouldn't rather. But really it's like anger is allowed because it, it's a sign of strength. Like you, no one's angry in weakness. It, that doesn't really align so well. But I think the course of action is to really look at, well, how can we, frame other emotions as strength as well or take the strength and weakness dichotomy out of emotional intelligence as as a whole and just be like emotions are just emotions right just like feelings are feelings like it just is what it is you don't have to make it about strength or weakness well and at the end of the day if you want to be the strongest person you can it's knowing how to control all that is within you yeah and for most men who detach or shove things down, it's the total absence of control. So they think that by not acknowledging the emotions that they have, they are alpha or, you know, they're not showing weakness when really they are just ignoring fundamental aspects of themselves yeah. and it leaves them wanting for their actual true potential. Yeah. And the other aspect that I think we we didn't even touch on today and, and we won't because it an hour many hours worth of a topic is trauma right and how that impacts us and stunts our emotional growth and capacity and you know so many people are traumatized as kids in their lives and uh, it's terrible and it's sad and we just don't deal with it um, because it's too scary and too shameful and all the stigma that's associated with it and I know you're a a trauma-informed coach and so you work a lot with trauma, right? And what would you say are like the big T trauma events that are most common for for men in your practice? Well, I don't know um, necessarily the the big T. If there's like, I don't know how to classify it as far as these situations. Um, But I mean, there's there's just a lot of like single motherhood where, you know, the, there's just, there's dysregulation Mm -hmm. in the families. The parents do not know how to regulate their emotions and they take it out on the child in some form or another. They, you know, they either excessively control their children, right? Like kids who grew up with parents who were like, it's my way or the highway. So their feelings were invalidated, their wants, needs, desires, or 
where the parents were too involved with the child, where the child felt like they needed to support the parent. Mm -hmm. They became the comforter. They became the adult. They became the nurturer of the mother. Um, you know, so, but there was, there's a lot of missing father, Yeah. right? Where the father didn't say, I love you enough or even at all. They weren't affectionate. They were kind of there to provide, you know, the living space, but nothing else. And so there's a huge emotional component that's missing and just disconnected. And in order to revive that in adulthood, we tend to attract like overly emotional or insecure partners who rely too heavily on us, who are too codependent because it makes us feel needed and validated and wanted in a way that we never did. Yeah. That was a tangent, but. And, and really sad because all kids, boys and all kids want that from their father, right? It's like the father's typically just doing what he thinks is best and trying his way to raise his kids and okay it's a different conversation right they're not malicious about it but it's not enough to create emotionally healthy children um where they right. need the presence that. of a father yeah. does not necessarily mean a good father no and i think that will be triggering for a lot of people to hear especially at the end of the podcast yeah. right but we need to do more work as parents than just providing food and shelter, because that's also used against a lot of kids. Like, you know, I, I give all this to you, like, but your child did not have to be born and you have to work on yourself um, as much as you can in order to be the best parent that you can. It's not necessarily how do I be a good parent? It's how do I be a good regulated human being? And that will help you be a good parent for your child. Yeah. And figure out exactly what works best for you in your situation. Um, again, again with the self-regulation, right? Learn about yourself, do some self-inquiry. It's the key. Yeah. Um, listen, Elise, thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Um, I will include links to all of your stuff in the descriptions and, uh, people should really check it out. Um, is there anything that you would like to say or promote, uh, for yourself now? Please do. Um, I just want to say thank you so much for inviting me. I love having these conversations I'm not sure when this will be out, but the Year of the Man Summit 2023 is coming out at the end of January, beginning of February. Um, so if you're listening to this and the time has already passed, the recording will be on the website. And uh, yeah, I'm just super excited to continue this journey of men's mental health. Amazing. Well, thank you. And I'll be speaking with you again soon. Take care.